Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Off of the Couch podcast. Maggie here. Happy New Year. I'm really happy to have Casey Ruff return as my guest today. Casey's been a personal trainer since 2007 and had the experience of using a metabolic cart, which gave him the insight on how to help people switch from burning sugar to burning fat. Plus, he's done over 500 interviews of experts in the fields of fitness and nutrition for his Boundless Body Radio. I think this will help anyone get a great start to the new year. Here's Casey. Well, I'm not going to ask your backstory this time because I've already had you uh, do that before, but I thought um, getting into our subjects here that I'd have you talk about fitness maybe first, like um, your backstory on that and how the the, uh, times have changed for you, what you used to teach when you worked at the gym and what you teach now. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. If you just want to talk about fitness, I know you have a you know long history as a personal trainer. And I I know that when you started out, you were working for, a, a, was it a corporate gym or a big box gym? Yeah, it was. Um, so yeah, so I, I had been interested in fitness in my teens. I kind of was the the chubby kid. And, um, you know, I, I bought a really inexpensive kind of weight set in my early teens and, you know, went to the library and got books about weightlifting. And so in my unfinished basement, I had, you know, posters on the wall with different lifts to do and things like that. And so I'd been familiar with um, working out, lifting weights, also with, um you know, we would consider like quote unquote cardio training. I, I got into cycling as a teenager. And along with that, I got a heart rate monitor. I started reading books about training for cycling. And so I was recording things like heart rate. And so, so I've, I've been interested in that kind of thing for a while. Um, I went to school and studied architecture, but um, in that time I was also a- attending a gym that had just been built near us, big fancy gym that was kind of expensive. Um, but I, you know, kind of justified it by saying like, okay, I'll join this gym and then not go out to eat as often as I have been. Um, and I, as I was there in this big box gym, that was really nice. I started watching, they had a staff of maybe like 30 personal trainers. It was a lot of trainers wow. and, um, it really, it was fun to watch them and, and watch them interact with their clients. And so I got interested in becoming a personal trainer. I'd worked at a gym when I was in my teens as well. And so, um, I went into the office of the manager and asked him what certification I needed to get. And he told me, so I went out and got it in, in a few months, then got hired. And that was March of 2017. So this year will be 17 years that I've been personal training. And you ask how things have changed and evolved. I, you probably feel the same way. Like when, when you were first learning lifting weights, um, you know, you're reading books about it or maybe getting your first certification. You, you learn everything you need to know about personal training. And then as you start the job, you realize, you know, less and less and less and less and less about it. Um, because you know, things do change or information does get lost or misrepresented. And so, yeah, things are vastly different now than they were before, but that's kind of how I got started in that. And I would say my, my certification was very, 
um, I guess kind of what we would think of as a, a kind of contemporary, but also classic certification of what you would see most trainers do in a gym. And I still use those principles, but not nearly as much. I've come into contact with a lot of better information. You were lucky enough to find that information uh, early, early, early in your career, which I'm so jealous. I had to go find that myself <laughs> later on. But um, yeah, that's kind of the story of how I at least got started. Yeah. So were you doing like an hour session with people and then really trying to, uh, I'm not going to say hurt them, but give them a really like a hard workout so they felt they got their money's worth or? Yes, definitely. So we would classically pitch hour long workouts, um, which I still do to this day. I can still work with somebody for an hour if they like to. That's not the only option. We can definitely do a 20 or 30 minute session with people and be really, really effective if they want to really cut to the chase. But yeah, we were doing hour-long sessions. Um, I was never like boot camp style, like yelling at people um, <laughs> and, and trying to kill them. But I will say that we would we would try to make very, very hard workouts. And they would be hard workouts in the sense that they would maybe challenge somebody with their, you know, their breathing. People would be breathing very heavy and they'd be sweating a lot. And we would do what we call quote unquote functional training, which means we would try to select exercises and movements or make things up based on what these people did outside of the gym. So for example, Maggie, if you told me you were a basketball player, I would say, great, let's jump off a box and, you know, we'll twist and turn and I'll have you get a heavy ball and I'll have you throw it against a wall a bunch of times. Like you're doing a chest pass um yeah i yeah we would we would just make up stuff that were like they looked like movements of basketball um but they weren't actually basketball and so you and i have talked before about uh body um body by science and you know all the great information again that you got at a very young age which kind of said that like you know, some of these movements that we try to mimic in the gym don't actually really represent the sport in the same context. Why don't we just try to get you really strong in the gym by doing really simple lifts that are challenging, but they're simple, um, and then take all that extra time and go go play your sport, go practice basketball, but in the context, context excuse me, of basketball, like on a court with, you know, five people on each side with a hoop that's 10 feet up with a basketball that weighs a certain amount, get really good at that skill. Don't try to mimic that in the gym, just try to use the gym to make yourself really strong. So I had to, I had to evolve into that information much later in my career. Yeah. And that's what you teach now you do more the body by science for most people. Yes. Um, I think the principles that he teaches in that book are by and large, the best scientifically proven kind of information um, that we have. It's not even new information. For me, it was just a collection of older information that was re-brought out to the light. Um, again, information that you've known for, you know, 40, 50 years. Um, and so again, I kind of had to find that. And and yeah, I don't, I don't do exactly what he says with every client all the time in every context. Um, I think one thing that's really important to point out is some people um, they need a lot of variety. Other people, they don't need a lot of variety. Like yeah. I, I trained two people earlier today. One person wants to do the same exact routine every single time. That's what he wants. That's what he likes. He doesn't care. So we'll do that particular kind of workout um, with body by science kind of um um, kind of principle. So we'll, we'll, you know, we'll do a few sets and whatever number of reps he likes to do, we'll do that. But we'll make sure that, especially in the last few sets and the last few reps, he's getting very tired doing that movement. And he's really getting to muscular fatigue. Like you talk about, mm-hmm. um, 
but he likes to do the same thing where the next client that I drove to right after him, he, we've been working together for 14 years. We do three days a week. He likes to do hour long workouts and he loves variety. He literally would fire me if I didn't come up with different things for mm -hmm. him. And when I do come up with different things, he's so excited and engaged and he loves it and he gets really motivated. So I, I always keep those principles in the back of my mind, but you know, as a personal trainer, it's really fun to mix up different variables. Some things you can change are like the number of sets, the number of reps, maybe the different grip positions you can change, mm -hmm. uh, different machines, the facility that I use. Um, and this is just in the last few months, Maggie, you would love this place. They've got, they've got Nautilus machines that are like 50 years old. Some of these oh, yeah. are like the only machines in our state that use chains to pull them and they move with the cams and all this stuff that you and I just geek out on. It's super exciting. <laughs> um, nice. and, and so even like doing like a row with somebody there, how many different ways are there to do a row? And you can still remember the principles embodied by science and, you know, use whatever things you prefer, but you always want to kind of keep that in mind. So I would say for the listener, like you don't, you don't have to do everything exactly the same. Feel free to work in some variety, but at the end of the day, there are those principles of strength training where if you do want to get strong, you do have to take yourself to a certain level of depth or intensity when you lift. And so I like to keep those principles in the back of my mind, but knowing that also work with whatever the client wants to do and, and how much variety they like or dislike, basically. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I find that too, that some people are really happy doing the same thing forever and other people um, want to mix it up either, you know, either every week or every few months or yeah. Just, yeah. Some people need to change it up to keep interested. Yeah. Yep. Um, I remember a study. It's one of my favorites and I, I wish I knew more of the particulars, but I, I love talking about it because they took two cohorts of people and they gave one group the exact same workout to do whatever frequency, like three days a week or whatever it was. And the other group, they gave different workouts every time. And the first group did get the better results, but the second group, um, were, was more excited to continue to do those, you know, variety of workouts. And so just, I, I like to keep that in mind and kind of ride that line as, as much as I can. It sounds like you're kind of the same way as far as that goes. Yeah, that's great. And when you do the, um, machine circuits, are you doing like the super slow? What is your, um, what is great your question? Yeah. Great question. Um, I don't often do what Doug McGuff prescribes is like a 10, 10. I'll yeah. do that with myself, but I find that a lot of my clients have a really tough time with that, moving that slowly. Um, and, and then, so yes, we'll do a slow tempo, but I don't always stick with 10, you know, concentric, 10 eccentric, letting the weight back go back. But, uh, you know, I think, two seconds, four seconds, three seconds, three seconds, somewhere in that yeah. realm where, yeah, we're, we're controlling the weight. You're not just like moving super fast and using momentum and like dropping the weight when you're done with the lift. I do want people to be slow and mindful. And I, I do think that tends to work well, but that said, I don't do quote unquote, super slow with most people. Okay. It, it is just a slower controlled tempo. Okay. Yeah. I, I actually uh, do something pretty similar myself too. Um, cool. Okay, so let's talk about nutrition. What um, I know you used the metabolic cart back then. And do you want to explain uh, exactly what information that gave you? 
Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite things to talk about. So I'm glad you asked. Um, with my background in knowing how to use heart rate monitors, when I got hired onto this staff of 30 trainers, um, I was obviously really green as far as the personal training goes, but I had much more of a depth of knowledge in heart rate training at the very least and knew how the heart rate monitors functioned. Um, a kind of embarrassing story about myself is my parents gave me a TV VCR combo to take to college. And I think they might be still upset with me to this day that I returned it. And I bought a polar heart rate monitor instead of accepting their gift I bought um, an old polar heart rate monitor. So I was already nerding out on that stuff anyway. And so early on, they, they trained me to be a technician to use a metabolic cart. And what that is, is um, basically a laptop that sits on a portable cart that we would put either next to a bike or a treadmill. Um, and then it would be attached to a black box that had an analyzer in it and through an umbilical cord that would then connect to a mask on somebody's face and would collect respirations would basically tell us how much somebody was breathing, but then also it would measure oxygen and carbon dioxide. So from that, we could gather um, how the body was exchanging oxygen to carbon dioxide. And that tells us how much fat versus how much carbohydrate. We're burning. So we could do that in different ways. Like I mentioned, um, we could do it on a treadmill or a bike and we'd ramp people up until they would quit. So that would give us, you know, what, what most people would think of as like a VO2 max test. How much oxygen can you take in and deliver to working muscles relative to your body weight is, is what VO2 max is. Uh, we also used it, um, in, in, a, in a resting scenario. So somebody might come in after having just woken up and they lay down in a, in a, in a bed, basically in a comfortable chair that retracted and they could sit there, same equipment and everything. And we would show them what their baseline metabolic rate was, how many calories they would burn at rest if we extrapolated that information to 24 hours. So that's all we really knew at the time when I first started again in 2007, it was basically, let's find out how many calories you burn, not only while you're resting, but also while you're exercising. And let's say we show that you're burning 2,500 calories a day. We have little sliders to say that like, okay, if you, you know, eat 500 calories less, that creates a caloric deficit of 3,500 calories, which means in one week you'll lose one pound. And we can do that for as many weeks as you've got weight to lose, as many pounds as you want to lose. You just keep eating that 2,000 calories when you're burning 2,500 to give you that deficit. You could also say, hey, you're burning 2,500 calories. Maybe if you add 500 calories more of exercise and eat the same amount, that's the same thing. It's a caloric deficit. And you know, obviously that would like never work for people, but we would, <laughs> we would take that information, give it to people. And when they would fail, we would just think, oh, this person is eating too many calories still, or they're not working out as much as they say they are. When people were probably actually really good at following the advice, it was just really terrible advice to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's how that kind of started for me. And it wasn't until later on down the road that we started to realize that looking not just at the number of calories that somebody burned, but focusing more on the, the, the percentage of fat and carbohydrates that somebody was burning could really help a lot. And this is eventually how I found the entire low carbohydrate world to begin with is when people started eating less carbohydrates and eating more fat, not only would their athletic performance eventually improve after a period of adaptation, um, you know, they could burn more fat while they did endurance exercise. So for me as a cyclist, I could go out on longer rides and not need to eat tons and tons of carbohydrates because I taught my body to burn fat. Um, yeah. uh, we noticed that happen. We noticed that people on their resting metabolic rate tests would actually teach their bodies to burn more calories and have more of their calories coming from fat, which is the opposite of what we noticed when somebody did a low fat calorie restricted diet, they'd actually drop their 
their metabolism and, and burn more carbohydrates. So you'd always be hungry and cold and have low energy and all that stuff because you're teaching the body to run on less calories. So that really shifted our attention from, you know, the workouts really changing somebody's routine and let's focus more on the nutrition. And we got so much more bang for the buck that really got me interested and exciting, excited about nutrition. And what I have found over the years to work on a very repeated basis is a low carbohydrate diet. Um, I think the worst thing somebody could do is try to combine a lot of high fat and high carbohydrates in the diet. Um, so whether somebody does low fat or low carbohydrate, I think each could work for, um, for weight control in particular. Um, but with the low carbohydrate side of things, when people did that and reduce their carbohydrates, not only could they control their weight really well and burn fat really easily, but we also noticed tons of other health benefits. Their brain would work way better. Their sleep would get more efficient. They wouldn't need as much of it and they'd feel way more rested. They don't need naps as much found that they don't need to snack. Their blood sugar would be better controlled. Um, they could actually maintain their muscle mass and lose fat at the same time. So that's really what got me into the low carbohydrate space is, you know, it's a, it's a weird thing to talk about. And luckily we're in a time that more people are finding out about it and it's getting more popular, but to, to tell people to eat more fat and that, you know, whole grains and fruits and vegetables are maybe not as great for people as we once thought. It really goes against everything we've heard in the health and fitness and personal training space for a long time. So, um, you know, you have to be really careful when you're looking at these kinds of things because you're really swimming upstream of as far as like the the classical information you get on diet. But when I'm getting paid by my clients to get them really good results, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get them really good results. And when I'm giving people low carbohydrate diets, they love it. They're thriving and it's improving their health and they're losing fat. Like that's just the way I'm going to go. And it's been it's been awesome. It's been a great journey and um, seen a lot of success with that. That's great. Yeah, and it's amazing that you have that machine to actually um, see what was really going on versus just guessing and going from texts and stuff like that. That's amazing. Yeah, it was awesome, especially when people were doing fasting. Like I would, I would notice that when somebody started a low carbohydrate diet, if their metabolism was like pretty normal after a few months of doing a low carb ketogenic type diet, their metabolism would actually increase. Their bodies were just burning more calories all the time by maybe a few hundred calories. It was awesome. But then when people would take that and realize that they didn't need to eat as much. So now they did intermittent fasting would maybe eat only once a day. I'd see these numbers where, where somebody's metabolic rate at a resting state would be 500, 600, 700, 800 calories higher than what it should have been. And it didn't even make sense to me. I couldn't figure out why. And it was great. And they were burning tons of fat. And you're right. Like to be able to see that through the data on this really nice report that people could get to validate what they were doing, it was fantastic. But it took me a long time to understand like, wow, okay. It's not that this person needs to now eat so much food or their metabolism is going to tank. It's that they're burning that stored fat energy mm -hmm. and the body is just doing a great job burning that off. And it's using a lot of its own energy. It was, it was a really fun time to be able to discover that information for sure. Yeah. And the, uh, the other, uh, thing that we were taught was that you were exercising to burn calories. And now we know that, you know, it's much better to burn stored body fat than to actually, you know, eat and burn, eat and burn. <laughs> yeah. 
Totally. I mean, I, I'm, I know you've heard this example before. It's one of my favorites. And I think I probably stole this from several people, but I, Gary Taubes writes about this a lot that like if we had a big meal and I invited you over for an awesome, huge meal and I stuffed the table with all the best foods and, and said, hey, I've got this awesome meal. I'm paying for everything. Eat as much as you like. Most likely what you'd probably do is you'd probably skip a few meals and you'd probably do a workout to be able to be very hungry. And those things working out a lot and not eating as much makes people very hungry. And so people think that they are starting a new workout program or a new diet program. Usually those two things are combined and they're getting so hungry that then they eventually cave on their plan and think that they don't have the willpower to get through it. And it's like, it doesn't have anything to do with your willpower. So you made yourself very hungry and those hormones are really powerful and eventually you're going to eat. So. Yeah. Very good. So if you have somebody coming to you um, that has not worked out and is just on a regular American diet, you're going to put them on a low carb diet and just um, get them started in some weight training. And are you still doing some cardio in that workout or? That's a great question. Yeah, I love that question. Um, so yeah, if I was getting somebody started, I wouldn't put them on any particular diet to get going. I would just say like, focus on whatever animal protein you really enjoy. You know, if it's got fat on it or not, I, I don't really care at this point, but just, just focus on the protein is the most important thing. Wherever your fats and carbohydrates kind of fall to is fine, but let's start with adding more protein. Just start there. Um, I would get them on you know, a safe strength training program, whatever they were willing to do, whatever they were able to do. Um, I would definitely want to make sure that they were motivated to be able to do that. I see a lot of people trying to force their way into a workout program when maybe their energy sucks. They're not feeling really up to it. They just think they should do it. Um, I like to try to kind of hold those people back until they're starting to feel really good from changing the diet and actually want to do the workouts. Um, and then as far as cardio goes, I really don't recommend a lot of it unless it's really part of their goals. Um, but I'm a huge fan of movement. I want people to be moving and be active and whatever that looks like that's um, motivating, exciting for people. I think that part is really great. I think yeah, just like you and I have talked about in the past, I think walking is probably the most beneficial exercise that people can do. And I would take whatever level of walking somebody is willing to do in the beginning. Um, you know, whether that's out to the mailbox and back, and maybe that's where you're starting. Maybe you do that once, then maybe you do that twice a day. Then maybe it's, you know, halfway down your street, whatever people are willing and able to do, um, I think is great. And I think that compounds over time. Um, so no, I really don't want somebody to be, doing what you and I or people out there would be thinking of quote unquote cardio exercise. Um, but I would want somebody to do some nice, you know, easy to maybe moderate type of movement. Um, something that somebody enjoys and was able to tolerate is that's where I would start. I think that's the most beneficial. Okay. That sounds good. Would you do the same? What's can, I that? The, can I be the podcast host and ask you if you would recommend kind of the same thing when somebody's starting? You know, I, um, I do what I encourage them to do a lot of movement and I encourage them to do movement that is their particular type that they enjoy. Like some people like to go to Zumba. Some people want to want to go to the spinning class. Other people like to swim. Uh, um, if they don't have anything I do usually just encourage like walking. And I think some stuff that I've heard you say park far away at the grocery store if you can or you know depending on whether they have 
you know, near back issues, then I might recommend something seated, but otherwise, yeah, just lots of movement and, and, um, and walking if they don't have anything else that cool. they yeah. particularly yeah. want to do. Yeah. I think that's great. I would agree. Yeah. Well, I know you've, I'm going to switch subjects. You've done a really deep dive into the blue zones. <laughs> uh, yes. You want to talk about that a little bit? What, what uh, got you, uh, what got you on that track? Cause you did oh my goodness. some really deep diving on it. Oh boy. Well, okay. So, um, we've, we've talked about the blue zones in the past on my show, um, uh, blue zones, if some people are not familiar with them, um, back in 2004, um, there were two demographers, which I still don't know exactly what that means, to be honest, but two people that I think study populations found and identified a few different areas in the world where they noticed that people were living longer and they wanted longer than others and wanted to assess, you know, and observe and find out like what, what could it have been that these people are living longer lives um, and they came up with some ideas that, you know, were varied and, you know, the elderly people were highly valued. They had great communities. There were communities where people were born and lived and die all in the same area. And, you know, the same people, and there's not a lot of like outside influence in these places. Um, they noticed a few things with diet, but nothing really like totally uniting across these four different areas in the world. Um, and again, they just wanted to observe and make some, you know, observations about what it could be. Um, in 2005, a, a guy named uh, Dan Butner got involved with the project. He worked for Na National Geographic. Um, and the Blue Zones kind of turned into a bit of a concept at that point. And Dan started to write about it. And, you know, before long, it was selling books about the Blue Zones. They identified a fifth Blue Zone here in the United States in California and really promoted that as the fifth Blue zone and um that blue zone is called loma linda in california which is a seventh-day adventist kind of retirement community um, where a lot of people go there to retire seventh-day adventists similar to the mormons around me here in the salt lake city area the seventh-day adventists have um basically kind of recommendations in their um in their in their set of rules that they try to follow that's about diet and so they avoid certain things and are told to eat certain things and for them it's a very much plant-based type diet and so again this thing that was a study became a concept and then it sold books and then it was involved with a religion that promotes plant-based diets and so the latest thing that has come out of the blue zones is a documentary um, that is on netflix called live to 100 the secrets of the blue zones and it's Dan Butner, and it shows him going to these wonderful and beautiful places around the world in Costa Rica and 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 in um, you know Greece and Italy and all these places that they've identified. And it looks like he's you know discovering these places. And he goes to Okinawa, and they they are showing these elderly people living happy lives, and they're active, and again they're really respected, and all these things. And then. I think I think Dr. Bill Schindler kind of said it best when I interviewed him about the topic where he said it's more like a bait and switch. They they use all that beautiful video and awesome concepts and like things we should be doing as we age and then they flip it and say the reason that they're doing this is because of they're eating plant-based diets. The first episode was all about Okinawa and they highlight in particular purple sweet potatoes as this wonderful food and a staple of their diet. And the woman that they interview tells you, as she's being interviewed, like sweet potatoes were a survival food. 
And when they looked at the food data for Okinawa in particular, they did so and used data from the 1950s where Japan was torn up by war and they needed survival foods and purple sweet potatoes was a big part of that. And so they use current information to make people think that they are in Okinawa eating plant-based diets and that people should be doing that. And then you talk to people, Bill Schindler, great example, just got back from Sardinia, heart of one of the blue zones. And they're saying like, these people don't eat plant-based diets. They eat some plants that are cooked or prepared in some way, but they're not, they're not on plant-based diets. The locals think it's so strange that people come in and want to do documentaries about sweet potatoes and minestrone soup and all these things. And they're like, I mean, it's not that we don't eat those things, but that's not our primary diet. And so I just, I get really frustrated I don't get frustrated when people want to do plant-based diets. Um, I eat a carnivore diet. It works really well for me. That said, I'm not picking fights with vegans. I'm not yelling at people on the street or picketing Whole Foods when people are buying salads. Like I am here to help people who want to do a carnivore diet. That's it. If you choose to do a plant-based diet, my hope is that it would be less processed foods. You'd be eating more you know, whole foods, and that's way better than a standard American diet. But I don't think it's fair to be on the other side of that and tell everybody that plant-based diets are the best for your health and longevity based on claims that are not true. Like, that's what gets me upset. I, I don't care if you want to eat more plants and that's good for you. And a lot of people do really well on that. And that's great. But to tell everybody that that is the way that everybody should do it and you need to reduce your servings of meat and saturated fat – that's when I get super frustrated. So yeah, I, I went on the offensive this year and I got specific guests to talk specifically about that. I did a composite episode where I took, I think it was seven different extended clips from episodes that I've already done. I put them into one really long episode. Um, I purposely, <laughs> I purposely named it. What did I name it? Living to 100, the truth about the blue zone. So I tried to be like really sneaky about like copying their, their title and hope I don't get sued for that. But um yeah, I just I don't know. I think it's I think it's ridiculous when when they're promoting things that just aren't backed by science and people get this idea that this is the exact right way to eat and it's happening again. A, a documentary just dropped yesterday on Netflix at this time of recording we're recording on January 2nd, so it dropped on January 1st, the day that everybody's super interested in health and nutrition and it's same. It's all about vegan diets outperforming omnivorous diets based on a really small study that was done with a limited amount of people for a limited amount of time. They only tell you the really really good things, they don't tell you the bad things. You the the data to, to, to find the study and then find the data and then find the sections that actually have the data. I had to dig and dig and dig. And I'm going to have to watch this documentary now because all my clients are going to ask about it. And it right. just, again, it doesn't, I don't have a problem with people choosing to eat plant-based diets, especially if that's what they enjoy and it makes them feel good. That's great. But when false information is being propagated for lots of different reasons, like this last one, it is the study, the original study was done by a dude who is a vegan and his lab has been getting grants from Beyond Meats for lots of years. Oh. And you dig you dig through the data of, of the way they did the study and it shows that the people that were eating vegan greatly increased their consumption of these fake meats, these plant-based meats that are being sold. And so there's money behind this and there's powers that be that can take certain studies that are biased and make them look wonderful and hide all the other things like your B12 gets worse or your HDL cholesterol goes down. They don't really talk about that. They just talk about, Oh, your total cholesterol is lower. This is amazing. And it's like, 
man, people watch this stuff and they get so influenced by it. And that's, that's what I want to fight back on. So yeah, excuse the long rant. I've been ranting a lot about that recently, but uh, it's just so frustrating. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. I think it's, I, I think it's the fact that it's misleading. I know I had watched one that was on previously. Um, it was Darren O'Lean and Zach Efron went around doing yeah. different things and they went to Sardinia and um, had an episode where they kind of implied that it was the bread and pasta that people were eating that was making them so healthy. But, you know, they walked through a herd of sheep and there was all these fishing boats in the background, you know, but it's a <laughs> they couldn't have been eating lamb or fish no right? of course not of course Ravioli not and bread so. it's it's crazy and it, it yeah you're right like i watched that documentary too and there were so many like good positive things to come out of it but then there's that one bait and switch that's always diet and nutrition i believe zach efron even tried to eat vegan himself for a little while he just couldn't stick with it but still kind of recommends it so yeah it's so frustrating <laughs> It's so frustrating. Yeah, he's in a new movie where he plays a wrestler, so we'll have to see what what uh, <laughs> what oh, he's been eating to put on all that muscle. We'll we'll have to find out. But that's yeah, that's it, very it's... interesting. Wow, I I still have the document that shows um, a list of all the people who have either claimed to be vegan or that have been in like Game Changers and shows like what happened to all these athletes, like how they got injured when they retired, when they okay. left the diet and got off of it, because it's just, it's such a deficient human diet that most people can't stick with it without having like severe reactions or injuries or all kinds of different stuff. And so, yeah, it's a bummer. It sucks. Well, I'm glad you're, you're um, putting that information out. I think as people age, it's really important to be getting the, the collagen and the protein. You know, we, the last thing we need are people having more sarcopenia because they're, you know, not getting enough protein or trying to, you know, I think it's hard enough to get protein on an animal diet uh, <laughs> as you get older. So hard. So it's so hard. And then, and then like when I look up you know, what is nutritional guideline recommendation for protein? And you get the RDA, which is embarrassingly low. And then it okay. sends you to these popular sites that people go to, especially this time of year. And they look like Livestrong. And Livestrong says you should be eating 50 to 60 grams of protein a day. And you should get them from nuts and seeds and beans. And oh my goodness, like 50 to 60 grams of plant-based protein, you're going to have... Like you said, muscle wasting, sarcopenia, it's hard enough, like you said, to get enough animal protein. It's so, so, so critical. And people are being misled. It sucks. Yeah. I, I want to ask you um, about your wife and her business, if that's okay. I yeah. know that um, you've talked about how she helps people get out of pain, and I'm not super familiar with it, but that's also another, you know, part of aging. People get joint pains or um, different injuries that they've been maybe living with for a while. What? How does she help people get out of pain? Yeah, that's a great question. So she was working, it's actually how we met. She was working for the same company that I was, but only in, in Colorado where I was in Utah. And my specialty was more on the nutrition and, and strength training side of things. And she is a personal trainer, but eventually uh, she got certified as a comprehensive Pilates instructor. Um, so, so she was into that world and she just has this gift of like being able to see a body and see 
how um, somebody is moving in a way that might cause pain in their life. She's just been very good at that, where I've never been good at that. And so eventually through Pilates, she got hooked up with somebody who was familiar with the system that she eventually got trained in, which is called Rossiter. And it's named after a guy called Richard Rossiter. And I, I don't blame you for not knowing anything about it. Um, it is extremely um, esoteric. It's a little bit strange. Not a lot of people do it. Even people in the industry don't really know about it. The closest thing I can describe is it's it's very similar to rolfing. Um, but in rolfing, which I don't know a ton about, I believe they use like more elbows or hands to manipulate the body. Uh, my wife is only 130 pounds. And, and so to work on somebody, you know, who can come in and be 300, 400 pounds, like that's going to be really tough on her body. So the roster system works by um, having the practitioner stand on the person. So she's got different level stands and poles to help her keep balance. And then she'll position somebody on the ground, typically, or in a chair, depending on what she's doing. And she'll use different parts of her foot to apply pressure to different places in the muscle tissue. Um, and then have the person determine not only how much pressure they're taking from her. So she only gives the person, she's not like, you know, creating tons of pain in people by standing on them. It's the person that decides how much pressure they take. And then they just kind of move through a series of different stretches. Bethany can coach them through different things, um, or they can move kind of creatively and just kind of explore what kind of feels good to them. And they'll do a technique for maybe 30 seconds, a minute, something like that. And then the person will get up and kind of walk around and take some deep breaths and kind of like reintegrate the movement. And we find um, that, you know, fascial tissue is all over the body. It connects everything, literally connecting your tongue all the way to your toes and different systems that work that way are absolutely fascinating. We've got all the um, anatomy trains is what they're called, different posters on our wall where you can see like, wow, how all the fingers from both sides of your body connect all the way through the body in different lines and sheaths of fascia. And so, um, yeah, so people come in and see her and they might have hip pain that Bethany might work on through the opposite shoulder or the mm -hmm. knee and um, maybe somebody's feet and, and it opens up like space all over the body so people can really literally get out of pain and start to move better. And, you know, I, I'm very biased. She's my wife. And so of course I'm going to be very biased, but I've seen so many amazing things where people have been working with chiropractors or physical therapists, or maybe have gotten surgery or heaven forbid they've gotten cortisone shots or whatever. And, you know, in a really limited amount of time working with Bethany, maybe it only takes one or two or maybe three sessions. People are moving way better. They feel way better and they can move through life without pain. So that's a little bit about what, what she does. She's yeah, she's very good at it. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, why did you say, uh, heaven forbid the cortisone shots? You want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I'm not an expert in this. I can just tell you, um, you know, what I've learned over the years and what my I've seen in my clients and what um, what Bethany has told me. It's it, it seems that a cortisone shot, you know, you're only kind of masking pain and masking a problem. And I just hear over and over that it just kills the tissue in the areas that you get those shots done. Um you know, if, if there's no other option and you know, you're going to be kind of getting these shots for the rest of your life, like maybe, okay, that's fine. But, uh, you know, I notice with my clients, they seem to be less and less and less effective. The more and more shots they get, you can get them every three months. And I notice that people need them, you know, pushing up to that three month kind of level where, you know, it's getting to be two months after getting a shot, they're already back in pain again. 
So I, I don't, I don't love them. I haven't heard the best things about them. Anecdotally, I don't see that they are a long-term solution. Just yet again, another kind of um, a bandaid in the medical industry that's covering um, symptoms versus addressing the actual pain. So again, if somebody is in really bad pain and that's the only way they can do things and they don't mind being on chronic, you know, getting shots, it's one thing, but yeah, not, not a huge fan. If you can do something else to avoid it. Okay. And what do you, what are you looking forward to in this coming year? What, what projects do you have and plans do you have? That's a great question. Um, you know, I'm not much of a planner, uh, of any kind, but I found this thing online called the year compass, oh, um, nice. 2023 to 2024. Um, it was a free thing. Um, and I expected that they would make me like download, um, an email address or something, but literally I just had to go to the website, which if anybody wants to download it, I had a great time going through this. It's just www.yearcompass.com. And you don't even need to enter an email or download things. Um, oh. and it's, it's a few pages of, you know, looking back on your last year, it asks you if you had any intentions, what things are you proud of? What things did you want to accomplish that you didn't? It makes you go through your calendar to find the most meaningful kind of events that you did and that kind of thing. Um, and then it also has you kind of, you know, review on things you need to forgive people you need to forgive things you need to let go of you sign off on 2023 and then you start on 2024 and it asks you to come up with an intention and write things that you would like to do or things you'd like to reflect on in 2025 and say that you accomplished in 2024 and i'm not a big journal person but it's been really nice to be able to go through that exercise and find the things that i wanted and every year um i do try to come up with some type of intention um and so my intention last year was abundance and growth um this year the word that that really kind of kept coming to me was savage um so i'm not sure if you follow um robert sykes and crystal sykes they run keto savage and lady savage they make keto bricks um i've i've met him and had him on the podcast he's he's awesome really great dude and we we talk about his company um keto savage and we talk about the word savage and savage to to us doesn't necessarily mean that you are um you know, what maybe most people would think of as savage or mean or harsh. We're going to go out and take everything or whatever. Savage means we want to be different. We want to do different things and challenge ourselves in different ways. And that's just kind of the word that came to my mind. And I just, I want to try to do something that's a little bit, I guess, different. Every single day, I want to have one thing that's savage. And again, savage to me could be that I write a thank you note to somebody or express love in a different way rather than hurrying through something. Um, well, you know, maybe it's something physical that I you know, go to a park and try to set my own personal record for pull-ups or so just silly little things. Um, but just to be different. And in a few weeks I turn 40 and I'm really looking forward to my forties. And so, um, I think that's a good word for the year. And yeah, as far as planning goes, I'm not great at planning. I like to keep my life open and flowy and just kind of accept, um, the things that are coming to me. Um, one thing I've just been kicking around in the back of my mind is I would love to create something that I can give to people like a plan or a program that doesn't cost very much money and is very helpful for people in a very high value at a low cost. Um, I don't know if you've kicked that idea around yourself. Um, I just, I find that I'm, I'm kind of pushed away from doing it just because I see people doing it and they do it. I don't know, in a way that seems inauthentic and 
looks like they're just trying to push more programs and more supplements. And it's just not the energy I want to put out there. So I haven't cracked that code yet. It's something I've been thinking about, but I don't know how to do it in a way that is really, you know, genuine and authentic. And so if I find that and do that this year, that's great. If not, um, you know, really happy with our personal training business. We'll just kind of keep it going, but yeah, I'm, I'm not a great planner. So no specific plan. So we'll see. I feel like it's going to be a really good year. And, um, like I said, my intention for the year is to have it be, um, savage and be something a little bit different and, and try to find ways to age differently than other people and look different than other 40 year olds and be able to do different things that other people can't do. So. Oh, well, I like that tool. I think I'm going to download it and, and, uh, use it. And, uh, yeah, Casey, turning 40. Yeah, for most people, you know, they're going, oh, no, I'm turning 40. Oh, my back hurts already, you know, and you're you're really the opposite of that. You're just so energetic. And uh, yeah, I don't think you have to worry about turning 40. <laughs> <laughs> well, As thank you. <laughs> who turned into a senior citizen technically last year, you know. I, yeah, that's I, right. We're, yeah, we're very lucky to be in this field. And, and, you know, I don't follow all the latest stuff, but I at least follow enough of it that I am not, you know, I pictured myself years ago at, at this age, I would thought I would have a little white hairdo and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's uh, aging is not as frightening as it used to be, I think, especially if you're in our field. So yeah, definitely not. And I don't know if you've hosted uh, Dr. Sean O'Mara on your show or not, but I love the way he talks about it. And just like aging is awesome. We should be, aging and aging means you're gaining knowledge and wisdom and you're smarter than you were last year and you're still physically capable and it's like you're just getting better and better over time i look at him and he's in his 50s and he's thriving and and doing awesome things i look at you and you're doing the same thing in your 60s you don't look at all like a senior citizen and you're doing your <laughs> awesome that. podcast which i love the last episode you oh, did thanks. with suzanne alexander was one of my absolute favorites that you've ever done so i think it's cool oh, it's cool to be a little bit different than everybody else yeah Oh, very good. Well, I will wish you a happy birthday. Um, why don't you tell people where we can find you and uh, and your wife as well? Yeah, absolutely. So the best place to find everything is just our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. They can find all our social medias there. They can find the podcast that we do that's called Boundless Body Radio. That's available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, but on our website, if you want to get a hold of us, the easiest thing to do is either just send us a message. So you'll see contact us and you can send us a message. Or the first thing you see on the, on the page is a book now button. Anybody around the world can book a free 30 minute session with us. Um, and I say it all the time, like if it's to chat about your goals or, you know, talk about nutrition or workouts or, you know, bounce ideas off each other, or really, even if it's just to say hi, introduce yourself, I, it's great to meet people out there. Um, so we would encourage that, but the best place to find all of that is myboundlessbody.com. Oh, great. All right. How about some final words of inspiration? Final words of inspiration. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's just never too late and it's never too far gone. You can do this. And the, the message that you send in your podcast, Maggie, off the couch, like you, you can start, you can do something. And yesterday I interviewed a guy who started his journey after doing bariatric surgery, after hitting 550 pounds and regaining all his weight back to another 550 oh pounds. He did it. He's done it. He's still big, but he's lost like 250 pounds and is now doing triathlons. And there, there's a person who it could have been 
too much. He could have given up and he could have died in his 40s like people around him. But he he decided to try something different and unconventional. And he said the exact same thing. Like, there there is a way. You can do this. Don't think it's too far gone. Like, people are doing it. We want to help you. Let, let's do it. Let's let's be different. It's it's not easy, but it is simple and you'll make progress and you'll feel better. And so my my number one thing I would say, especially this time of year, is people are trying to do their very best for health and nutrition and, and fitness is to start where you are. Don't expect overnight results and just you're, you're going to get there. We'll get you there. Just start. It's never too late or too far gone. Awesome. All right. Hold on. I'll turn off the recording. I really don't think there's much I have to add to that. What a great conversation. Again, you can find Casey at myboundlessbody.com and he's also at Casey Ryan Ruff on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening to the Off of the Couch podcast. You can find me at offofthecouch.com. Take a small step. See you next week.